0: While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city, for the city. Good morning, y'all, how are you guys today? Yeah, good morning, it's good to be with you. My name is Elizabeth Mosley, I am the associate pastor here at Uptown Church, so I'm not the normal preaching pastor. If this is your first time, I'm not typically up here at this time in the service, but it is really good to be with you all today and I am so glad that you all are in church because it's a privilege and a joy to gather together and to worship our God together Always and every week. Um, now I have been a pastor. I'm the associate pastor here, and Uptown Church is two. Have you uh, have you like gotten that message yet? We've like talked about it a lot because when it's your birthday. You want to celebrate, don't you? Yeah. And so we are two years old, and it has been so awesome to have been a part of Uptown Church up until this point, to to see it and to be involved in it and to pastor, to be one of the pastors here. I have loved it. But I have actually been a pastor for far longer than Uptown Church has been around. I know I look so young, but I have been a pastor for 18 years. (laughs) Which is a really long, long time. Um, And when you are a pastor, Joy, you know this, when you're a pastor, people will give you presents, which is really kind of awesome. Um, And I have a lot of crosses. I have a lot of crosses that people have given me over the years. But I also have some other Jesus-y presents that people have given me that I thought you would be interested in seeing today. The first one that I want to show you is this. Jesus adhesive bandages because Jesus heals. Yeah? I actually have, this is like on my shelf, one of my bookshelves in my office right now. I've never used one because it feels like you use them for serious wounds. Um, I've never used one. I'm honestly not sure what the free toy is inside. So if anyone knows, like, I don't know, like maybe I'll go back and open it and see what that is. So yeah, Jesus band-aids have that in my office. Anybody recognize this guy? This is called Buddy Jesus, all right? I actually personally don't have one of these. Hint, hint, just kidding. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Buddy Jesus, right? This was kind of a, a spoof and from a movie that uh, they thought, how can we make Jesus more accessible, right? He's your friend. How about this one? Uh, I have a friend of mine who, who actually also has this. Do you see it? It says Jesus saves and then Jesus shaves. It's a coffee cup, because when you fill it with hot liquid, his beard disappears. Come on, this is funny, right? Like, who would think of this? Who thought of this, right? And last, I love this one. This is uh, in the office, was in the office of a colleague. This is called Jesus Laughing, which just a great picture, right? Also excellent dentistry at this time. Uh, Look how straight his teeth are. I'm so impressed. Um, I actually do really love this one. I think it's really great. And honestly, I love all of them. Are they irreverent? Absolutely. These are all irreverent gifts, and I am not telling you that this is like the only way to connect to Jesus. But what I really actually do love about gifts like these is that they remind us of the joy and the lightness that connecting with Jesus can bring us. They remind us that there is this laughter and humor and goodness and joy and a lightheartedness about our faith. And I think that that is something that is really, really important for us to remember as the church. That's important for us to remember as the church because I think that many of us, I think many of you, and I include myself in that, can remember growing up in church, maybe. And the church where we grew up in, maybe, was really quiet. Does anyone remember growing up in church and it just felt very quiet? And it felt very serious. Church was serious. And if I'm being honest, church was kind of boring. And if there were pictures of Jesus in this church, Jesus looked really serious, didn't he? Maybe it was of him preaching sternly to a crowd or facing down a storm or going off by himself to pray. And a lot of the times, the pictures of Jesus in our churches were of Jesus on the cross, where he was suffering and dying. How many of us grew up in churches like that? Yeah? Where where it was serious and quiet and intense and boring. And the truth is, that's, that's part of the Christian experience, right? There is a reality to being in a church and, and recognizing that our faith has components of it that are serious. And it's recognizing that it is, we have we cannot talk about Jesus without talking about his suffering and his death. And, and there are, I think, a lot of churches that really lean into God's wrath. Have you ever heard that phrase, God's wrath, and God's judgment? and There are churches that lean into that, and it's because I think for many, many years throughout our history, many Christians at various times and in various ways have connected more to the suffering and the pain and the death of Christ, and so that's what they emphasize and highlight, and it's there. We have to talk about that when we talk about our faith. But I think it is so important for us to remember as the church that that is not all that Jesus was about. Because when we look at the way that Jesus connected with and encountered and spoke with the people that he came across in his ministry, the truth is that Jesus really wasn't always serious. And he wasn't always talking about his suffering, and he wasn't always, you know, shaking a finger at people. There was a lot of joy and lightness in Jesus. And Jesus, I think, calls his followers to embrace that element and that aspect of well. Because you know, you know who loved hanging out with Jesus? Children and sinners, And if those two kinds of people like hanging out with you, I'm sorry, you're just not boring. Okay. You're not boring and you're not serious all the time. If children and sinners want to hang out with you, you're kind of a little fun. All right. And so what I think is so important for us to remember is that Jesus was probably a little fun. Jesus was fun to be around. People wanted to be around Jesus. And you know what? Jesus, wanted to be around people. Jesus loved people, all right? He loved them, and not because he could tell them what to do. He loved just being with them. He loved seeing them. He loved talking to them. Yes, he would go off by himself to pray, but he would always come back. He would always come back and speak with people and walk with people and eat with people and hang out with people and joke with people. I mean, he was with people. You know what Jesus loved? Jesus loved parties, okay? Jesus knew how to party. He loved parties parties and we have so many stories in scripture of Jesus at a party. Jesus talking about going to a party. Jesus telling people how to throw a party. Jesus loves parties. The very first miracle in the gospel of John, Jesus is at a party and he's making sure they have enough to drink at it, okay? That is what he's doing. The very first miracle in the gospel of John, Jesus is making sure the party is fun, okay? Okay? He tells stories, he tells people, you know what, if you're going to host a party, here's how you need to do it. Here's who you invite to your party. Here's how you be a guest at a party. Jesus even threw a party. I mean, I'm sorry, but the last supper, the night before he died, that was a party, all right? He established our practice of communion, which is holy and it's sacred, and there's a lot of seriousness that goes on in that moment, and yet that happened when the dinner was over. And you know what that dinner was? It was a celebration of the Passover. That is a yearly Jewish party celebrating God taking and saving God's people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and into freedom. That is a party, and Jesus threw that party for his disciples the night before he died. Jesus knew how to party because he knew that gathering people around you Sharing good food and good stories and laughter and being together was part of the goodness and the abundance of life, life that Jesus himself came to bring us. So Jesus, Jesus was full of joy. Jesus loved parties. And I think he called us as his followers to be and to do And so that's what we are going to be talking about for the next three weeks. That's what this sermon series is about. Welcome to the party. We're going to be talking about parties, about how we as the church take our faith seriously. We take our faith seriously, but that doesn't mean we always have to be serious in doing so. We take our relationship with Jesus seriously. But that doesn't mean we always have to be serious. Because there's a goodness and a joy in celebrating the good news of our Lord. There's a goodness and a joy in celebrating who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so that is what we are gonna be talking about, how to respond to that, how to have a really, really good party. Let us pray. God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you for you are our rock and our redeemer, and we love you. Amen. That was not the end of the sermon. (laughs) Now we're talking about parties, so what I kind of want you to think about right now is uh, throwing a party. Have you ever thrown a party? Maybe like a small gathering, a get-together, maybe a dinner party. Have you ever thrown a party? Who's having a Super Bowl party today? Yeah, some people are hosting. Yeah, we are. Um, I don't even know who's playing. Well, I do know one team that's playing because Joy really likes this team. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, hosting a party is fun, right? Have you ever thrown a really, really big party, though? Like a big, huge party? My parents loved throwing parties. They loved throwing parties. They, they love planning and inviting people together, and they cook really well, and they are excellent toasts. I mean, they just love getting everything going and and having people over and kind of the joy and the laughter and that they're just so good at it, and they love doing it, and they taught me two things. They said, good food is essential. That's like number one. If you have a party, you have to have good food. And the other thing they taught me is the more, the merrier. And that was then corroborated by Cher Horowitz in Clueless, okay? The more, the merrier, all right? And I I love that and I I love parties and I'm so thankful that my parents always hosted parties and they, they taught me these things and I could see them and I appreciate them and I did not get the party hosting gene. And I love the idea of parties but it is very, very stressful for me to host a party. I, like, it makes me uncomfortable hosting a party because I feel like the pressure is on and I'm always worried about whether we have enough or it's the right thing or the right way. And I feel like there are so many like details that I just don't see and that I can't think of and I get really anxious. And the thing that I will honestly get the most anxious about is the guest list. I get so anxious about the guest list because there's a lot of pressure on the guest list when you have a party, isn't there? Because you know, when you get that evite or that paperless post email in the mail, what, what do you look at first? Yeah, you look at the guest list. You wanna know who else is invited to this party? Who is coming to this party? And you scan that list and you wanna think who do I know? Are any of my friends going? Who can I ride with? Am I allowed to bring someone with me so that I'm not like, you know, alone at the shindig? And maybe for you introverts, like who's there? that will leave early with me, right? Like that's the other thing we always wanna know. So we look at a party, we, we host a party, the guest list is so important. Now, the biggest party I ever hosted was my wedding. And um, it was gonna be so fun and I was so excited about it and then it came time to planning the guest list and I was so stressed about it because my husband knows a lot of people and I know a lot of people <laughs> And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, but who are we actually going to invite to our wedding? And we had so many conversations because my mom also thought, you know, well, we have to invite these people. And his parents were like, well, we also have to invite these people. And so there was a lot of people, and we, like, combed through that list, and we were like, well, you, and you know, what, you know what you do. You think, well, if we invite this person, then we have to invite this person. And if we invite these people, then we have to invite those people. But if these people can't come, oh my gosh, and even worse than the guest list is like the RSVP, right? Who is actually going to come? And how does that change how I plan the party? And how does that change who I invite? And the whole thing is so stressful. I'm literally sweating right now. And so if you are planning a wedding, good luck. God bless you. I like literally have no words of advice. (laughs) But I will be praying for you. <laughs> I'll be praying for you. The guest list has so much pressure on it, I think, and we all know this, because guests, right, people make the party, don't they? People make the party. So when when you get an invite, you want to see who else is going, because if the cool kid is going to the party, then you're more likely to want to go, right? I mean, we can kind of be honest about this. Can I get like some head nod, right? I'm not alone in this, yeah? Like we look at an invite list and we're like, okay, but who else is going? Oh, they're going. Oh, well maybe I will go. And it's like no matter what you have on the date and calendar, you're like, oh, cancel that. I wanna to go to this party, right? The more exclusive sometimes the better. It like, really matters who's on the guest list because people make the party. And Jesus knew this, you know? Jesus knew this when he talked a lot about parties and, uh, and so I wanna share the scripture today is about Jesus talking about a party and Jesus really specifically talking about the guest list. And I, I personally find it so helpful and so challenging and so I wanna, I wanna share it with you today. It's from the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke is always, always, always concerned about the real life impact of the good news of Jesus. It's not just about, this gospel doesn't just have um, stories and, and kind of help people consider this future experience of the gospel, but it's always about how is the gospel here and now, especially for people who are the least and the most overlooked. For the people who are the least and the most overlooked, the gospel of Luke is always asking that question. How is the gospel good news for the, the least and the overlooked, okay? And where we are in this story is Jesus has been doing a lot of healing, a lot of teaching. He's becoming very popular. In many ways, he's kind of like the cool kid, right? Like everybody wants to go to the party with him. And so he is invited by a leader of the Pharisees to come to a dinner party. Jesus is at a dinner party, and he starts talking about parties. He starts talking about who you should invite to your party, how you should invite things to your party, why you invite certain people to your party, how you should show up to a party, and where you should sit if you were a guest at a party. And then at the end of the dinner, he goes into this story. He starts to say, someone, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, come, for everything is ready now. Now, when we read these verses, I want to point out a couple of things. One, this host is generous and gracious and really good at hosting parties, okay? We know that right from the start. This host probably has a lot of money because he has a servant, and he's able to invite many people, and he has a great dinner, and he has made sure that everything that needs to happen for this party has happened. He's taken care of it. This kind of party is not a potluck, okay? This kind of party is not a Super Bowl party where it's like, yeah, come whenever and like bring whatever you have in the fridge. This is a dinner, sit down, formal invitation, plated, choose your entree, like show up kind of formal dinner party. That's kind of the level that we're talking about here. And everything, everything is ready. And so he wants his servant, he asks his servant to go and tell all those who, invite, who, have I, who I have invited, many of them, go tell them that it's ready. Tell them it's time to come in to this party. And so his servant goes out. But all the guests, they all alike, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. All right? Um, this is like my nightmare. <laughs> this is my nightmare when I host a party and all of a sudden you want all these people to come, you expect all these people to show up and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, oh, sorry, we can't make it. Right? This is my nightmare. Now, the reason that this is actually even doubly, like horrible and insulting, and I just want you to like just rest in that for a bit with the host, is because typically at this time there were kind of two waves of invites that were sent out if you were hosting a party. You would send out an invite for the event and the date of it. So really kind of like a save the date, like we would do today. We would send an event out to be like, hey, can everyone make it on this day? And then you kind of get responses, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I can make it that day. And then once the day arrives, you send out the message like, okay, everything's ready, y'all come on now. And like, we're ready to go. And so the fact that these people made excuses actually It's kind of a slap in the face because what it shows is that they had probably already received the invite, the save the date, and they had probably already said that they could make it. And then all of a sudden, once the invite comes back the day of, they're, you know, bailing. Right, they're all basically better dealing the host. Okay, we all have better deals and we're going it. But even worse is like some of these excuses are not even real, like they're not good ones. Nobody would buy a piece of land without seeing it first. Nobody, nobody would buy oxen without checking them out. Nobody would buy you know, animals without checking them over and seeing them first. So like those excuses aren't even good excuses. I don't know, I don't know why they chose not to come. Right? I don't know why they had said to the host, like, we can be there. And then, oh, like, never mind, we can't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because he invited many people. And they saw that guest list, and they were like, nah, I'm not going. I don't feel like this is actually going to be that great of a dinner. But whatever it is, they decide, last minute, not to go. So the servant returns and reports this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry. Very understandably so. And he said to his servant, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring out the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, all right, sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. The host is angry and understandably so, because he had done all of this, right? He had prepared, he had counted the plates, he had counted his stemware and his silver and all the things, and he set it out for his guests, and then they decided not to show up. And so then he says, you know what? I'm taking this guest list, and I'm expanding it. And now we're told exactly who he expands the invite list to. And it's to the people to the people that would have been at the very lowest level, socially, in his society. At this time, these folks would have had the least amount of power. Many of them were probably excluded by their social and religious communities because of those communities' inability to see them as whole and acceptable people. They would have been out in the streets and the lanes without no with no invitations for tonight. And he said, yeah, those are going to be the people that I want at my party. Those are going to be the people that I want to be here. And so instead of being the absolute outcasts, they become invitees. And there's still room. I love that line. And so what does the host do? Then the host says to the servant, go out. Go out into the roads and into the lanes, the places outside the city walls even, and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner." I love this because this host wants his house filled. It's not enough for him to just have critical mass, right? It's not enough for him to hit his minimum food requirements. He wants every seat filled. He wants the place packed. He wants nothing to go to waste. He wants everything to be enjoyed fully. And you know, this last statement, the first time I read this, I was like, dang, that is harsh. And I kind of was like, well, I get it. If you're so angry, of course you're going to be like, well, fine. You don't want to come? Well, you don't get to have my dinner anyway. But I want to suggest that we read that statement slightly differently. Maybe really as a statement of fact. All he's saying is, look, the people who I invited aren't going to taste my dinner. And maybe even a statement of disappointment. Maybe even a statement of shame. Like, oh, that's a shame. I'm sorry for them that they're not going to taste my dinner. Because the reason that they're not going to taste it, I mean, ultimately, it's not because he kicked them out. It's not because he disinvited them. It's not because he decided they weren't worthy. It was because they chose not to be there. They chose not to be there, and so the reality is they're not going to get to taste the dinner. You know, this whole story that Jesus tells is about the kingdom of God. In fact, he starts this by saying, the kingdom of God is like when someone hosts a great dinner he tells this story about the kingdom of God and it's ultimately about the guest list. Who is invited to be in the kingdom of God? Who will receive the invitation? Who gets to be part of the faithful community? Who gets to experience unconditional love? Who gets to experience divine grace? Who gets to experience forgiveness of sins and the, the joy and the life, the goodness, the life abundant that we are promised here and now? Who gets to experience that? Who is on God's guest list? Everyone. Everyone is on God's guest list. Every one. I cannot emphasize this enough. Everyone is on God's guest list. The people, especially, who maybe think they would never presume to be invited. The people who could never think that God would actually want to include them. The people who have been told maybe by many, many places and many other faithful people that they are not welcomed. Everyone, everyone is invited to God's party. Even the people that you don't want to be there are invited to God's party. Even the people that when you look at that list and you're like, ooh, dang, no, I don't want them to be there. Well, sorry, they're invited too. But so are you. You are invited to God's party You're invited to participate and be a part of God's work and God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. You're invited to God's party. Now look, you're here today and you're listening to this. But my guess is there might be some of you, even here today, who are still not sure if you're really supposed to be here. There might be some of you here today who are really not sure if you're actually invited some of you here today feeling like, you know, I snuck in and I really hope the bouncer doesn't see me. Well, you're invited. And you belong here. And we really, really want you here. You are invited, but I get it because I've been to parties where I maybe felt out of place. I I didn't maybe know a lot of people. I felt uncomfortable, like, oh, this was not the party I thought it was. (laughs) but more it was about me, and I felt unsure, and I felt like I was an imposter. And I, so I get feeling that way, but I, let me just tell you, you are on the list, okay? I'm so glad you're here, you're on the list, you are welcome here. And here's the really good news about God's guest list, is there is still room. Y'all, there is still room. When I stress about a guest list, do you know what I stress about? I stress about the fact that I have a finite number of resources, right? I can't have an, an infinite guest list because I only have this much, this much room at my table. <laughs> or I only have this much room in my budget. Or I only have this much food in my fridge. We operate at a finite level. But God is infinite and God's house is infinite, and God's party is infinite. You are invited to the party, and you have like plus one to infinity. You can invite others. Once you get to the party, let me tell you, there is room. And so you and I, our, our call, our, our extended invitation is to extend the invitation to others. And this cannot be just like a passive, like, hey, if you want, we're going to get together. And like, you're totally welcome to come if you want to. That, that's very passive. This has to be an active invitation. Do you remember that word compel? I want to talk about that for one second because often it is used to mean kind of force. You must force people. And, and the Christian church has used this, I think, in an unhealthy way sometimes to say you must go out there and force people, make people come to church. And kind of at any means necessary, right? And so often the church has used shame and they've used guilt and they've used abuse and they've used oppression to kind of force people to come to church. But let me just tell you, if that's how you're getting to church, that does not really create a very good party atmosphere, does it? Compel in this sense, compel in this story is about strongly urging, actively going, and convincing people that they are actually invited. Because those people out there in the lanes, those people in the roads, do you think they would have really believed that they were invited to this kind of party? No. And so the host says, go out and remind them. Convince them that I really do want them to be here because I have room for them because my table is big enough for them, because I want them with me, because that is a party, that's the kind of party that I want to throw, where every single person is invited. So who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite to the party? Who are you going to convince that they really are welcome, that there really is a seat, a place for them, just as they are that god loves them and longs for them to be included who are you going to invite and i get it it's hard cuz i can get all in my head and i can be like i don't want to it seems awkward and what if they like think i'm trying to pressure them and everybody wants to be invited everyone wants to to be included everyone wants just someone to ask hey I'd love for you to be here, would you? Maybe this is you, you're still wondering if you are invited, and you are. You are invited. We want you to be here. And so is your friend, your friends invited, and your neighbor, and your colleague, and your boss, and your parents, and your siblings, and anyone you know, they are invited and you have the chance to invite them, to make sure that you are extending that invitation that you yourself received. So who are you gonna invite? I hope you accept your invitation. I hope you invite and extend that invitation to others because this is a party. We are here to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ for us and for the world. And it doesn't end here. The party keeps going, and it just gets bigger. We want to make sure every, every, every person gets their invitation. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit UptownChurchDallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.